and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 115. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City once again, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh, and you were right, Jay. I am a butthead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever called you that. Um, but if we had <laughs> if we had gone to uh, middle school together, maybe I would have resorted to such name calling. <laughs> but uh, it's so wonderful to be back. I'm in my home studio again in Utah. I made it back and... I won't be talking about my recovery from open heart surgery anymore. I'll spare everybody on that, but I do want to thank everyone for their support and well wishes. This community has been incredible. But I do want to tell you a quick story that happened to me in getting home because it was literally, I think, the scariest thing that ever happened to me. And it seems appropriate for horror movie podcasts because I actually thought I was going to die. We were, I had a layover in Denver. And so I was on the last leg of the journey from Denver to Salt Lake City. And as I was flying over the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, I don't know if you've ever flown over those before. I know Josh has, but those mountains are so freaking tall (laughs) that the plane is still pretty far above them, but not that far above the mountains. (laughs) So it's very nerve wracking to me. (laughs) I haven't been feeling the greatest anyways. And so we started hitting this storm front as we were going over the mountains, I've flown a lot in my life. I've had a lot of bad turbulence. No kidding. Like even where like the wings would go like teeter-totter style, crazy stuff. <clears throat> but I had never in my life experienced worse turbulence than this. This was the worst ever. And in fact, it was so bad. If you could picture like yourself in a Jeep, like ramping down a mountain, just coming down the side of a mountain and ramping off. That's what it felt like. It felt like the plane was falling out of the sky violently and everybody on board was screaming their heads off. And I can just tell you right now, (laughs) as dead serious as I am about horror movies, I finally found out what Jay of the Dead would do when faced with certain death because I honestly believed these were my final moments. I realized as this was happening that I was praying out loud. (laughs) Like I heard myself. Like I recognized that I was actually praying. People are screaming. It was insanity. And my my new pacemaker works and my heart was holding up, but it was beating (laughs) out of my chest. uh, Anyway, that was terrible because I thought if I went through a month of torture (laughs) to just die on a plane before seeing my family, I was going to be really pissed. But anyway, when we finally landed... You know, then my wife had to drive us home in a blizzard, (laughs) and it was crazy. So I'm glad to be back. (laughs) Well, that's good. I mean, obviously, I mean, I've flown to the West Coast, and I'm guessing we went over the Rockies, too. I don't recall, but it's been a long time. But holy cow, that's that's insane. (laughs) It was insane. One other personal note, if everybody will permit me, I just want to take a minute to thank my friend here, Wolfman Josh, because I, I don't know if people realize this or not, but for the past couple of episodes, Wolfman Josh has been <laughs> recording the show 
and producing it and editing it and doing everything associated with hosting the show. And um, yeah. I'm t- you you only have done it for like I don't know, like 115 episodes. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just saying it, it was important to mention because before this surgery came along, and I'm sorry again about my voice to everybody. I will stop being annoying eventually on the podcast. Less annoying than usual, I guess. But anyways, I just knew that if I stopped podcasting during this period, that it would be hard for me to like take it up again because I'm like an all or nothing personality. I got had problems about that. So I was really grateful that Josh kept it going for us because it literally kept horror movie podcast alive or at least my involvement in it. So I, uh, I owe you a lot, Josh. And then... Over on Movie Podcast Weekly, somehow I scraped out an episode every week. So I don't know how that happened. It's crazy. (laughs) Holy cow. So as we proceed with the show, um, we've got a lot of exciting things to do for you tonight. It's our At Your Mercy Listener Picks, where we have our special library edition. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But there have been a few trailers that we haven't been able to discuss just yet. And the first one I want to talk about is The Mist which is a television series, this little mini-series. Is it a mini-series or is it a full-blown... Do we know how many seasons this is going to be yet? I mean, I know that they've got 10 episodes for season one, but I think their intention is to make it a full-on series. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if we look at Train to Busan and the the animated film that came out that related to that, I like that because it's a World War Z idea where you basically have the same outbreak situation but we're following it in different locations. The mist seems harder to do since, you know, as far as we know, it's just about the small little town, um, you know, at least in the original novella and, and the film adaptation that we've seen. But um, I love it. I love seeing what's going on around town, you know, since we've only seen the grocery store so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I guess that was my first question I wanted to ask you guys about. I mean, we've talked about the film before, but did, did you feel satisfied enough with the film where you felt like, okay, why do we need this series? Did you have that? Or are you saying the more we can get of the mist, the, the better? My feeling, I, I certainly wasn't wishing for more mist at the end of the film, although I liked it quite a bit. Um, uh, but I will say having seen this trailer, I thought I could watch this forever because I love the idea of the mist and kind of like I was just saying, I like the idea of seeing different iterations of that same idea because it really, ultimately you can do anything with this film. You can do a monster movie. You can do a zombie movie. You know, you, you can have all of the elements you get from a great beastly freak movie and all the elements you get from a great, <laughs> um, you know, a siege narrative. You can do that with The Mist. And so we can see a lot of variety, I think, in a series like this. And I just love the aesthetic. I love the misty look it has as well. So yes, I'm excited. I was really excited after seeing the trailer. I have to say, yeah. So about you, Dave, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know that, um, you know, like Josh, I don't know if after the movie I was saying, well, you know, let's see a sequel or anything like that. But the, the, um, trailer for the TV show looks, it looks pretty darn interesting. Mm-hmm. I totally you know, agree. I have not been, I, I don't usually, uh, watch too much series television. Yeah. Uh, but this one definitely has piqued my interest. Yeah, absolutely. It looks very well done. I mean, the production value. I mean, <clears throat> because let's be honest, 
as much as I love the film, and I do love the film version, um, some of the production values are somewhat limited or lacking, and I think that's why we've talked about this before too. The black and white version actually sells it better if you get a chance to watch yeah. the black and white version of that film. But, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I love the film, and because I just love the mist story and that concept, I'm not one of those people who's precious about oh, you can't remake my favorite thing or you know what I mean? So I'm I'm very optimistic and I'm looking forward to June 22nd. So that's on Spike TV. And if I don't yeah. have if I don't have cable, how does one see Spike TV productions? Is there an internet version like That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, we'll have to check yeah. out. I mean, usually with these shows it's hard to see and until maybe you know after it's done airing they release them all on amazon or sometimes with amazon you can actually watch them as they go which is cool um they'll just put up the new episode the day after it airs on television they'll put it up on on amazon but mm-hmm. you know definitely spike is certainly not known for this type of programming and so i you know just like amc did a few years ago and completely reinvented themselves i'd love to see spike go in kind of a new direction um, yeah. Well, and, and Josh, that's the kind of thing, I mean, you all know I'm not as much a TV guy, but this is the kind of series that I would be willing for us to coordinate either where we review it as it goes, like as a little segment each, you know, bi-weekly release on Horror Movie Podcast, if we're able to watch it as it's airing, or, you know, do a whole season review Something like that. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I would want to go all in for because um, mm-hmm. I just love that the concept. And as I understand it, you know, the director, he's a Danish filmmaker. I believe all of his previous work has been in Denmark. Um, but he talked about in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, I guess. I read about it on Birth Movies Death. But um, he said that he is, of course, going back to the 200-page novella but he wanted to also be kind of aware that there's already a great adaptation out there by Frank Darabont and he wants to do justice to that as well. And so I think that's kind of the idea is I think this exists in the same universe as that film, which I hope, I I think if that's the case, that will be really exciting. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Listeners, we'd love to hear what you think about the missed trailer and let us know in the show notes. Now, what about, let's talk about it. What do you think about that, Dave? Uh, well, that trailer looked uh, incredibly creepy. <laughs> it yes. did not really um, reveal, at least the one I watched. I don't know. I guess there's a couple of them floating around now. Um, didn't show you a whole lot of, the. I guess, the main creature. Uh, it was kind of holding back on that, but yet still managed to make it um, very creepy. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to try and, I mean, this is one, I think it's coming out in September. September 8th, yes. Yeah, this is one I'm definitely going to, I'm going to try to see this, like, maybe as soon as it comes out. Absolutely. <clears throat> I'm definitely, I'm excited. I mean, this, that, that trailer I just watched, had it really got me sort of jazzed up for it. And let's just make clear, just so everyone understands, I mean, I'm sure everyone is up on this news, but... Isn't it true, just want to confirm, that this is kind of a, a, a part one in, in this, this actual September 8th film will be like the first part. Is that true? 
They have talked about doing it in two parts. I don't know if that's been finalized, but that was definitely part of the discussion. Um, you know, that's that's cool. You know, when the original miniseries, which was also an adaptation of the Stephen King book, uh, was in two parts. And so if they did it that in that style, I think that would be kind of exciting. Just kind of harken back to that, um, that TV miniseries. Now, I don't, you know, as far as I understand, this is not a remake of that, but its own adaptation of the source material. However, like as with The Mist, it seems to me that the director of it is very familiar with the other adaptation and has been pretty reverential from what we can see with mm-hmm. the uh, the trailer has has really copied you know in kind of a Gus Van Sant psycho sort of way in my opinion done some of these shots kind of shot for shot but then others really updated and done kind of a a new take on some of those scenes and so that's really exciting to me so I'm really excited with both of these Stephen King adaptation trailers is that they seem to. Uh, both be respectful of King's work and the previous film work. So I yes. like approach. I agree with you on that. And um, one thing about this it trailer <clears throat> that really stands out to me is that, you know how we have praised and yes, I still have not watched it. All, all, no, I'm, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I still have not watched all of season one of stranger things, but I have seen some of it, as you know, and the way that that was done, like really well done, and I, I can totally get on board with that. Like the way that the the youth actors were handled, like the way the time period was captured and everything. Uh-huh. I mean, this it trailer looks like, um, you know, it's like a Steven Spielberg film, and I mean that in a complimentary way, of course. Right. Yep. I just think the. The production values, I mean, it looks like it's done right. It's going to put you there in a, that small town feeling. You're going to be there with the kids. You're going to be among the kids. So I'm sold on that. I'm, I really have a lot of faith in it. The only thing I'm concerned about is this, whether it's going to be one or two parts, because I think that, you know, there are pros and cons to both. <laughs> if they do it all in one film, then it, it's a long book, of course, and there's a lot of material there. And so... We really risk, obviously, leaving out a lot of good stuff. But then the danger to splitting it, I think, is just for films to be able to stand on their own, even though it's, you know, part of a a two-part thing, I think that the film needs to be split well. And I think that could be, I don't know, difficult with this, where both films could stand on their own as a great horror film. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's also how much interest is there, you know, and it's it'll be interesting to calculate. I mean, it would be sad if they released the first one, it didn't do well, and then they never released the second one or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's that, a disaster. That would be my worst case scenario, but um, I, I don't know. Based on what I'm seeing from the trailer, it looks like you say a very high quality. There was only one shot that I didn't love, which was kind of, it seemed just a little bit overdone, kind of modern contemporary fast forward glitchy body movement horror. That was the one moment toward the end with Pennywise where I thought that's, that just seems like typical current horror. And I don't, I didn't like that about it, but I loved everything else. I said. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I actually, I mean, that that what you're referring to, that it's kind of at the end of the trailer, it, it was creepy to me. I mean, it really left me with this unsettled feeling. So, yeah. It's I'm, startling and scary. It's just, it's also just in every, you know, yeah. thing these days. That's true. That's true. So it sounds like we're we're all hopeful for both of these uh, Stephen King adaptations to come back around again. And that would also be a great time there in September because I know we had talked about doing like maybe a, well, was it a part two? We still owe a part two of the creepy killer clowns episode, right? I believe we owe a part one of our creepy killer clowns. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Cause okay. So leading up to that, of course, I, I bet we'll be uh, re- revisiting the original hit and so forth. We got all kind of killer clowns on the docket. So uh, I hope people uh-huh. are looking forward to that because, uh, yeah, we'll be doing that here on Horror Movie Podcast, so that's exciting. Okay. All right. Now, um, speaking of terror in the aisles of an airplane, um, and that's not a segue into a United Airlines story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor- yeah, I was wondering, I, when you were talking about a nightmare on a plane, I was wondering if that's what you were referring <laughs> to, if you had to give up your seat to a, to a stewardess or something. That's hilarious. But uh, Dr. Shock, I guess he has a PSA review for us to get us warmed up here. And uh, Dr. Shock, what do you have for us? All right. Well, I was able to check out. This is something that um, I want to say it was Universal released on their Vault series. On uh, I have it on DVD. I guess it was a while ago. I don't think it's new. And it's the documentary Terror in the Isles. Now, it's from 1984. And it's kind of a, uh, I guess, a clip documentary it's about horror films and it is hosted by donald pleasance and nancy allen and it's kind of interesting because it has them it the whole thing takes place in a movie theater and um they're talking you know and with an audience that is uh, allegedly watching horror films and every now and again the audience will like one of these audience they're obviously paid actors it's not a real audience um every now and again they'll chime in or something but for the most part it's just you know Donald Pleasance and Nancy Allen sort of uh, introducing, um, well, not just clips, but they're talking about different themes, and then clips are put together from different movies that sort of make up that theme. Um, and it does go into the past. It, it does have things like you know The Wolfman and um, the 1958 version of The Fly um, goes into Psycho. And it, it, it's interesting because it has some, it, it really does put a spotlight on, on some of the, what at the time were the most recent entries uh, in the genre. And I'm talking like Friday the 13th, part two, and American Werewolf in London, John Carpenter's The Thing are, you know, featured pretty prominently. But there's also something interesting that they do where they, they take a look at thrillers. And there's an interview with um, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, discussing that thing we've, you know, we've, talked about it here before the difference between shock and suspense uh, yes. where he goes into that um and they also show clips from movies like midnight express clute um you know films like that um and it is it is really a tribute to horror films and i liked it but i gotta say some i was a little bit some of the clips that they decided to, some of the movies that they decided to talk about there were a few things that bothered me about it but one of them is the th- movies they decided to, to talk about. Um, you know, like I said, they had a, a sequence where they were doing thrillers. They focused on three movies primarily in that segment, other than, you know, talking to Hitchcock. 
They looked at uh, Marathon Man, which is a really good movie. Nighthawks. It's a 1981 crime movie with Sylvester Stallone, um, Billy D. Williams. They play partners. They're they're uh, cops in New York, and Rutger Hauer is this terrorist that's loose in the city, and they're going after him. And I have not seen it since it was on cable way back in the 80s, but I loved this movie. I I would watch it every time it was on, and I remember the second time I was watching it. It was going to be starting right around the time the bus would get me home from school. And every time that bus stopped at a red light or some kid took his time to get off the bus, I was just sitting there sort of stewing, going, we can move your ass. Because I wanted to get home and see this movie. I wanted to see it because I missed the first 10 minutes of it last first time I saw it. And I wanted to see it from start to finish. But Nighthawks. Um, and then they also go uh, Vice Squad, which is kind of like a little bit of an exploitation sort of um, uh, movie about like prostitutes and pimps. But it's it's really good as well. But anyway. I enjoyed the segment, but it still felt a little bit out of place in a movie, um, you know, that's supposed to be horror centric. Uh, but what really threw me is when they had a, a clip from Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief. Um, and it wasn't even it wasn't even like an interesting one. It was like a romantic moment between Cary Grant and, uh, and Grace Kelly, uh, which really felt out of place. And then what they would do, like I said, they would sometimes put themes together in this. There's a part where... Um, uh, Donald Pleasance is talking about uh, the devil and, and how Satan, um, you know, will, will sometimes uh, rear his ugly head. Well, then they go into clips. And, of course, they're going to show clips. You get Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, and The Omen. You get those those movies. But then they also show clips from Jaws and The Thing. And I thought that was a little strange that they decided to throw those in there <laughs> yeah. in segments dealing with, with Satan. Um. <laughs> but that probably what bothered me the most about it. And I do like, you know what? Ultimately, I'm going to say I liked this. I did enjoy it. It was kind of cool to see a documentary made back in the 80s about horror. Um, you know, at a time when, when like, I was really into it. And, 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 and to see some of the movies that they're talking about that when they're new. That, that was kind of cool. But probably what bothered me about it the most, and this is the worst offender. I mean, I've seen some documentaries where they've done this that, you know, film documentaries where they've done this. This is the worst offender um, is that they spoil a, at least eight movies uh-huh. in this thing. They show the last scenes from Psycho, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, 1978's <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Halloween 2, Scanners. They, and, they show, and they show the last scene from Nighthawks as well. They spoil all Jeez. of these movies with the very last scene. This is one of those type of documentaries where you'd like to go to like a younger fan. And I know we have some of them out there who are just getting into horror and say, hey, this is something you can watch. It'll give you some ideas of movies to check out. This is where the PSA comes in. Do not see this if you're like new to the genre. Do not check out Terror in the Isles. It is going to spoil a number of movies for you. I'm talking mm. the very last scene in all of these movies. That really burns me up. <laughs> I, I mean, why would I mean this is 1984? I mean, they do it because they're like really cool scenes. But come on, I mean, you know, you, you've got to. Why do that? I mean, why make this document? They're really the only per- person this documentary is for is for like the diehard genre fans who have seen all these films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it, so I, I so I did enjoy. I liked it, and like seeing you know Donald Pleasance and. Nancy Allen and, and 
Um, Donald Pleasance gets a little dramatic at times, you know, with, um, you know, it's only a movie, but we have to go home at some point, you know, like that sort of stuff. And yeah, um, and I do generally like these clips sort of uh, films and, and um, you know, being as from the 80s, it was kind of cool. But, you know, go into IMDb and and check out there's a there's, you put, put in Terry in the Isles and there's a, a section on there called Connections and it lists out all of the films that it talks about. And if there's any on there that that like if you oh I haven't caught up with this this classic yet or that one, don't watch Terror in the Isles first because there's the odds are it's either going to show you the best scenes from it or it's going to show you the last scene from it and it's going to spoil the movie. I see. Okay, but uh, but as far as like your rating of something like this, if people... I would probably give it, I would probably give it a six, but I can't recommended everybody go out and 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 rent it only because like i said um it will spoil some movies that you may not have seen so yeah so it's like but a, i would say it's a it's it's a qualified rental for those who have seen the classics already for those for those who who feel like really sort of you know like the like with all of the genre classics um and a lot of the like the established like um the ones I mentioned there, like the the ones I was rattling off that that, mm -hmm. that it spoils. If you've seen them, um, it is a fun documentary to to check out. But you know, just just keep in mind, it's uh, I just couldn't believe how how many of the of just the very last scenes they were showing, and it's just it's it's too much. It it really did limit who would be able to who who could see this documentary who would be able to watch it and mm -hmm. and and really get something out of it i'm with you all right well thanks for letting us know about that that's terror in the isles documentary from 1984 and um sounds like it's a good one for the the longtime fans so all right right well i appreciate it dr shock so um at this point we're going to move into the uh main event of our episode which is the at your mercy listener picks and Josh, just to spare the listeners, my voice, <laughs> could you kind of explain what this is that we do every once in yeah, a while? Definitely. Um, occasionally we do listener pick episodes and, um, we have the listeners submit their, uh, recommendations and then we, the hosts each pick one of those listener recommendations to watch and review for the show, just a fun way to get the listeners involved. This will be the third iteration of uh, this format, I believe. And this one was a little bit different than previous efforts because Jay put a call out to the listeners to go to their local library and see what the horror collection was like at their local library, which was a fun idea to go and check out uh, what they have in stock and what was there. And people sent us a lot of photos from their local library of the horror films that they had. And, and we had some emails and we've talked about those on previous shows, but then uh, Jay awarded a winner, I guess, of his favorite, uh, of his favorite at your mercy library pick, uh, which I believe you'll be reviewing later today. And, and Dave and I each also selected a pick from our listeners to talk about on the show tonight. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. So I wanted to clarify one thing because like, even though, like, <laughs> I helped, I was part of spawning this idea with you all and the listeners. Um, 
I don't remember one aspect, and that is typically, as you described, the listeners send us things that they either want to hear our take on or just have us review or for whatever reason, or maybe it's a, you know, usually it's a recommendation where they thought it was a good horror film, they want us to review it. But this is, like the challenge was kind of, go to your library, see what weird, random, odd titles that you just wouldn't even imagine would be at your library, you know, and let us know what those are. So I get the sense that in, in some cases, these might not necessarily be recommendations, right? But but we're just kind of picking from these odd titles sure. that the yeah, library's right. had. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. But you are right that, um, yeah, like we awarded Allison with a Y. She is the uh, horror unicorn because um, of all the extensive, you know, work she did and the, the photos and everything, I really appreciated that. And so I chose to pick one of her films that was at her library, and that is Ghost Story from 1981. I will take you places where you have never been. the start. I will show you things that you have never seen. Beginning. And I will see the life run out of you. Long ago, on a cold, dark night, in this peaceful New England village, something happened. Something too terrifying to remember. Something too frightening to forget. Something that has remained a secret until now. Just to kind of set this up for everybody, if I were to describe this, and this might make people mad, but... It's kind of a blend of something like The Haunting from 1963, where you got like, you know, a good old fashioned ghost story. And I don't want to say it's dated, but I'm just saying it's good old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> Blended with something like The Changeling from 1980, the one with George C. Scott. It's a good ghost story as well. And so if, if those are your cup of tea, I'll just tell you right up front, this might be something you'd be interested in. And this is a universal film. The runtime's one hour, 50 minutes. And basically it's about, and this is just a very general premise, you've got two generations of men who find themselves haunted by the presence of a spectral woman. And when the son of one of the elderly men returns to his hometown, he endeavors to find out why she is haunting them. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> Number one, this movie has a lot and I mean a lot of old men having bad dreams. Okay, so what? So, so, so yes. Now, Josh, your reaction there is exactly what I wanted because it, it is as you imagine. Like you see these these older actors, you know, um, like thrashing about and acting scared and whimpering and whining. And the thing is. It's part of the story that they're having these nightmares, and that's fine. But the the fact is, they have so many instances of this <laughs> where they put it throughout the film that it gets to be comical. So I just I just have to warn people up front: you're going to see a lot of old men having bad dreams, and it's it's somewhat unpleasant. But um, weird, weirdly <laughs> enough, <laughs> this stars this stars Fred Astaire and. As you yeah. know, I mean, uh, of dancing greatness fame, I mean, he's had right. 
quite a screen career, but it was because of his dancing films. And he he does not dance in this movie, although there is one dancing joke. And then it's got uh, Melvin Douglas. It has Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Isn't that interesting, Doc Shock? Yeah. So that's pretty yes, cool. Yes, definitely. I think this was all of, uh, I think for the three you just mentioned, I think this might have been their last film for all three of them. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, they were they were kind of getting up in years. And then it also has um, John Houseman. Now, when you see this actor, you'll recognize his face. And when you hear his voice, his speaking voice, he sounds a lot like Alfred Hitchcock to me in this movie. So, like, if you close he, your he eyes. He has that mannerism. Yeah. He has that sort of Hitchcock mannerism. Yes, he does. But he had that even at the beginning of The Fog. When he's when he's doing the story, you know the <laughs> the campfire story. He kind of has that same manners, and that's just John Houseman. Yes, yes, sir. You're exactly right. So anyway, uh, and those actors are um, just fine, and um, they do they do a good job. It's kind of weird. It's very distracting to see Fred Astaire in something. It's kind of like you know how <laughs> a lot of people will complain about Tom Cruise is because like anything you see Tom Cruise in, like you see him in Valkyrie. He's got an eye patch on, but it's like, yeah, but that's Tom Cruise, clearly, you know. Right, like, right, so right. when you see Fred Astaire, and especially since he's so pleasant and smiley, and his character is like this, um, he, he sticks out like a sore thumb as Fred Astaire a little bit. And I was always waiting for him to do a little dance. And he is such a graceful man that even watching him walk, you can see, yep, he's still got it. You know, it's just, it's hilarious. But anyway, this was based on the novel by Peter Straub. I have not read it, nor will I, but um, there you have it. So uh, let me tell you about a scene early on. Um, I think it's the first death scene. You've got a, um, a, a bathtub with running water that's kind of overflowing. And uh, for whatever reason, this is related somehow to the ghost. And then all of a sudden you see this um, nude young lady in this man's bed and of course it's one of those things where he's like what are you doing here what are you doing here and uh i don't know about you guys but when i've had that kind of experience i'm not asking a lot of questions like what are you doing here just, right yeah i'm just saying <laughs> that seems like you know i don't know a, a poor approach in in that situation but anyways um he, when he rolls her over of course, you get the jump scare scene where you see unpleasantness. And this scares him. He's wearing a towel. It scares him backward out of a window. And <laughs> this has very rough special effects because, <laughs> <laughs> because as you can imagine, if you're, if you're like vi visualizing this in your mind with me, when he goes out the window backward, we have the pain shattering and he's very high up. And then he's falling and his towel comes off. And so you see all of his parts flailing as he's falling. And it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I the parts were flailing. Yes, all of his, his members. And, and I, was, I was laughing out loud. And he just <laughs> falls through a bunch more glass. And that's kind of hilarious. So even though this is not a comedy horror film at all, I think there's a lot of unintentional comedy in it. But um, the big problem with this film, to, just to get serious, our, our, our ghostly gal, the, the woman who is haunting them, 
she is attractive, but she seems like, <laughs> how can I say this? Have you, <laughs> have you ever known those gals who, you know, or those type of people who are a little bit quiet and backward, but they might have like a wild side to them. She's kind of like this. She kind of seems like a school marm. You know, she seems very prim and proper, but she's also wild. It sounds like she's the uh, librarian slash school teacher fantasy. <laughs> right, right. The librarian <laughs> fantasy, right. Yes, that's exactly right. And so she does spend some time um, naked and she also spends some time, you know, like in relationships with people. And it's kind of weird because she's kind of a weirdo. But we're not afraid of her because she is, as I said, attractive. And so your quote unquote monster in this movie is a, a good looking naked woman a lot of the time. And so you're like, what's the problem here? What's scary about this? Yeah, I think you're underselling the scariness of a stranger turning up in your bed. I think that's I think that is scary. I don't know that I'd go flying out of a window because of it, but. Um, I mean, I would be immediately suspicious. Think of every body snatcher movie. You've got species. I mean, I don't, there's a, just because there's an attractive woman around doesn't mean that, uh, that you should let your guard down. If anything, I'd, I would be thinking the opposite. You know, I've been watching right. a lot of these, uh, you know, I, you were mentioning, you don't want to watch a lot of series television. I do because my significant other, that's all she's re- really interested in watching so we watch a lot of series television together and the americans is one we've been watching a lot of which is a cold war spy show and essentially these cold war spies apparently if we're to believe what we see the americans did most of their work through sexcapades they would essentially uh, seduce and destroy and and so the, the thing when you watch the show is you're like why do all these guys just think this this young, attractive woman is interested in them all of a sudden out of nowhere. And they're just like, yeah, that seems normal. Um, when they're, she's clearly out of their league, but I, you know, I was telling my wife, the reason is, is cause you want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't want, like you were saying, you don't want to question this situation cause you want to believe that, uh, it's really happening. <laughs> so I, I, I would say if anything, be on your guard even more. If, <laughs> if an attractive member of uh, whatever gender you're attracted to approaches you at night in your bedroom, you know, and in, in, in an unexpected fashion. Well, that's, be on guard. That's sound advice. And it reminds me, there, there are two things. Um, it reminds me of the best quote from um, X Men 2, where Magneto says, Never trust a beautiful woman, especially one who's interested in you. <laughs> like, I love that. That's the best quote <laughs> in that movie. <clears throat> and then he does actually know the woman who's you know nude in his bed but i guess she wasn't there previously i mean he knew her but then she's like there all of a sudden but yes good points and everybody listen to wolfman josh because um <laughs> magneto's it's a trap yes it is a trap <laughs> and we all we all know this and if you don't believe me watch a movie called teeth anyway i'm just kidding <laughs> anyways sorry um so what you have is kind of um it's kind of a slow burn, right? I, I was at the the hour mark on this movie. And I'm sorry, Allison, if this is one of the movies that you love or hold dear or something, but I was at the hour mark and I was like looking at the clock and I'm like, wow, 
it still has 50 minutes to go, you know? <laughs> and so anyways, we get to the end and, and, you know, every once in a while, like you get a, a gooey, gruesome, you know, gross g- ghost scene that's pretty convincing. I mean, it looks pretty good, you know? Uh, and, and to that end, when we get to the end of the film, which I will not spoil, but when we see, you know, everything is revealed, like what the prior evil was and what is happening and why we see a gooey, goopy, gross, you know, that is actually pretty effective and disgusting. So the ending is kind of, um, you know, the, the special effects there are pretty well done, but as well, it, like the way things like wrap up in this film the way like okay because of because of x then y happens and the end is z you know because the way this adds up is pretty silly so um i'm gonna say ghost story for me i mean i'm not a ghost movie guy i think there are things to appreciate about this but uh for me this would be like a a 4.5 out of 10 and i call it a low priority rental for me but anyway let us know what you think in the show notes now you guys haven't seen this right i have i've, I've actually uh, covered it on the blog um a mm. couple years ago now uh actually it was may of 2014 and I, I wasn't so far off with you i thought it took um i liked the cast i did like like the the cast that they got together Mm-hmm. I especially liked Alice Creek. I thought she did a good job um, in, in her role. Um, but uh, I thought it took, this is what I said, it, 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 I thought the story uh, kind of meandered and it took a long time to get from point A to point B sometimes. There's a flashback sequence, especially um, where mm-hmm. characters tell the, the Chowder Society about this experience he had with the girl and I thought it was like maybe I thought you could have cut that in half and yeah. it would have still worked just as well. It was like 10 or 15 um, minutes backstory. It, it was it was way too long. Right. Yeah, it was way too long. Um I thought that it introduced a few characters that didn't really bring anything to the, you know, anything to the film. I'm talking about there's these escapees from a mental institution. Um mm-hmm. I didn't really think that they added much to it, at least not as much as they could have. Um, and I thought that uh, ultimately I thought that the mystery was, was easy enough to figure out and I had already done so by the halfway point. Mm-hmm. So it kind of made everything else a little bit of, uh, anticlimactic. Yes. Yes. So. Um, I, I, I thought I did like that. I thought it did have some good scenes, you know, like you did have a few effective jump scares. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I said, I did like the cast. I might be right around. I might be like at a five, a middle of the road, mm-hmm. and put it as a low priority rental as well. Interestingly enough, David had left a comment on the blog where he did not agree um, with this one. Um, he and I'll just read his comments straight through here, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. He says, "I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one, Doc. I like this movie. The ghost revenant was extremely scary to me i loved the setting and i guess i just have a thing for slow burn ghost movies that said i can't really argue with your criticisms the story does meander the flashback is way too long and the mystery is extremely predictable there's something about the atmosphere of this film that makes it really enjoyable to me it's a good one to watch on a cold winter night with a glass of uh characterful beer and the fire roaring (laughs) that's excellent 
So that's uh-huh. good to hear. I mean, like maybe Allison likes it and it sounds like David likes it. So, so there yep. may be an audience for this. And what did you think, Doc, when I said it was kind of like a blend between the haunting and the changeling? <clears throat> Do you think that- I can, I, I could see, I could see what you were talking about. Yes. Especially, especially with those two films. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was thinking the changeling before you had even mentioned that I was thinking of that as well. I, I think that's, I think, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I see where you're coming from with that. I do like both of those movies, though. Yeah. I mean, and I know I don't know where you are with. I know you weren't as big on the haunting. No, but um, but I do I do like both of those movies. Yeah, um, I love and the I changeling. I like both of them. Yeah, the changeling is 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 great. Solid. And I like both of them definitely more than than I enjoyed Ghost Story. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say when I first Googled this film, just to kind of you know we were going through what the listener picks were just to see what we were going to talk about. This one really stood out to me as something that I thought I would be interested in. Um, you completely talked me out of it with your review, <laughs> but but hearing David's uh, defense of it, I do. I am actually quite often kind of in line with David's paranormal. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know, yep. maybe I'll give this a try after all. Um. I'm anxious to hear what you think about it then. And, and yeah, I'm definitely, definitely a fan of the haunting and the changeling. And I know that I liked the haunting quite a bit more than you did. So yes, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely feels like classic. I mean, the fact that it's named ghost story, I mean, it feels like classic ghost telling tale, you know? And, um, you know, I think there are people out there who will really appreciate that. But yeah, for me, 4.5 out of 10 low priority rental. All right, I think we're ready to move into a Wolfman Josh's listener pick. Tell us what you have. Okay, so mine came from listener Kagan from Salt Lake City. And Kagan had to win for me because he went so far. And, I, and I'm not recommending people do this. You, you do not have to do this in order to get your film reviewed <laughs> for future reference. But Kagan went so far as to buy the Blu-ray and ship it to me because he wanted to hear my review of this movie. So <laughs> I felt as though uh, that would be the proper selection. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, didn't leave you a whole lot of choice. but <laughs> Well, I would have felt bad to not, to not review Absolutely. it after... He's put in that effort, so thank Absolutely. you for that thing. For Bill Whitney. I've never been paranoid. Fear plays a large part in family life. I feel like something's going to happen. And if I scratch the surface, there'll be something terrible underneath. He's afraid his sister... Could you zip me up, Billy? ...is not what she seems. God, Bill, what's the matter with you? He thinks his friends are out to get him. Make waves with you, you're gonna drown. People are what they are. Now you have to learn to accept that. He's about to find out the truth. <laughs> so why, why are you guys doing this to me, huh? What, you've been living with these people all your life and you didn't know anything about this? Is far worse than he could ever imagine. I am reviewing Society from 1989, and it is a uh, Brian Yunza film. And Brian was probably best known as the producer of Reanimator. That was his first film. He went on to direct Bride of Reanimator and Return of the Living Dead Part 3 and produce films like From Beyond and Dolls and Warlock and Ticks. And 
Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, actually, as well. Um, he's directed The Dentist and, you know, some, some pretty decent B-movie horror films, basically, as well as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> um, and this was his directorial debut, Society. And so I was actually quite interested in seeing this. When I got the Blu-ray, it is just like a Necronomicon, <laughs> just a just a mesh of skin and grossness on the on the cover of the Blu-ray from Arrow Video. So I was like, maybe this isn't going to be my cup of tea. You know, it, it looked just like you know I'm not a big gorehound, so um, I was thinking this maybe isn't for me. I guess when I when I saw it, but. Uh, I went ahead and gave it a shot, and I think it's interesting. I think this is probably a one of those films that's a cult classic for a reason. I think it's hard to remove it from its 80s context because the basic plot line is just kind of the most generic 80s teen movie you'll ever see. It's you know, but underlying that is, and you can imagine from the guy who produced films like Reanimator and Dagon, and From Beyond. There's a lot of weird weirdness going on <laughs> underneath hmm. uh, all of it. And, and it starts from the very first scene, you know, our character bites into a piece of fruit while he's uh, at a meeting with a psychiatrist, and just tons and tons of worms start crawling out of this bite that he's taken. And it's a bit reminiscent of the Worms Lost Boys scene, uh, where Michael's eating the noodles and they turn into worms, yeah. kind of, you know, <laughs> how's, right, that, yep. how's that rice and it's maggots. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the very first shots of the film. And then it gets weirder and weirder. There's a scene where our young lead named Billy uh, is kind of going in to talk to a sister who's in the shower and her body seems like it's flipped around. We're seeing her kind of through a marbled glass the lower half of her body, we seem to be seeing her posterior. And then the upper half of her body seems to be twisted all the way around and is facing us. And it's a really well done practical effect. Again, very early in the movie that you're just like, what am I seeing right now? This is so bizarre. Most of the film is just kind of this mystery where this young man, Billy, is very wealthy from a very wealthy Beverly Hills family. And, you know, he's quite privileged. He's got this killer new Jeep that he drives around. And, you know, he's he's running for class president or something at school. And he's got a beautiful girlfriend and more beautiful women who are interested in him. And it's just a, he seems like, you know, he's got this kind of idealized 80s life, you know, the kind of all of the superficial things one could want out of life he has at his fingertips, yet he feels as though something strange is going on. He feels like an outsider in his own family. He feels as though his sister and his parents are hiding something from him, and he thinks that something strange is kind of afoot uh, in his town, in, in Beverly Hills. And so he, a lot of the film is him kind of trying to investigate what exactly is going on, but... You know, we've talked about this a lot in the past. It has this feeling of a very simple premise that has just been stretched and stretched and stretched uh, to kind of get to the ending. And the ending they have is spectacular in that it is 
a level of body horror and weirdness that I've never really seen in a film before. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Um, but most of the movie is not that. Most of the movie oh. has kind of this vamp uh, kind of Fright Night vibe to it, but more generic than either of those films. And if you can imagine a film that's more generic than kind of the setup of vamp, like it's just so uh, basic and, and it just seems so redundant and, and dull for most of the film. There are some definitely some bright spots as we go. And, and that the cast is good. It's shot really well. It looks great. And the, the special effects makeup is done by a guy named Screaming Mad George, who is this really artsy special effects weirdo that I am just now kind of in love with. He did the famous cockroach death sequence from Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. Oh, cool. Okay. Very Ooh, memorable okay. scene. Uh, he did creature effects for Predator and the reanimator films and stuff, but this is kind of his most, um, uh, I don't know. The, the film that seems to adhere to his vision more than any of his other stuff. It really is kind of the director, you know, being a first time director and just wanting something weird said, uh, do whatever you want, you know? And what he wanted was to make a surrealist film. And so, you know, he was highly inspired by Salvador Dali. And if you can imagine some really weird, the you know, Salvador D- Dali stuff, especially the stuff that deals with kind of like body parts. Oh, yeah, like Unshion Andalu and Andalusian Dog, that one. Yeah, if you can imagine that it physicalized, wow. you know, it's pretty weird and shocking and gross and um i guess the question for me is does is the juice worth the squeeze as they say (laughs) you know you're you're getting all of this in the third act of the film and and most of the rest of the film despite having kind of like all the basic 80s horror tropes of you know uh the the bb and (laughs) whatever (laughs) I don't, you know, what was that podcast that you used to listen to, Jay? Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like, which one? It was blood, boobs, and something else. I don't remember what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Something like that. (laughs) Anyway, this has got all that typical 80s stuff in it, you know, but, um, but it really sets itself apart, I think, you know, in this last act. And I guess the question is, is, is the journey worth the destination? I think I can imagine, especially if you would see this during the eighties being a, a big time cult classic, it's got some weirdness. Um, and if you take it as an experience in kind of the surrealistic way, I think that's the way you're going to enjoy this. I think if you're looking at this from a story structure plot perspective, you're going to be probably pretty disappointed. It's not. And I think that's the problem is it kind of, and I think maybe that's just the, the effect of having it be a first time, you know, the work of a first time director, he's kind of wanting to follow a standard story structure. And yet, and and he's kind of failing on that level, but he's succeeding in all these artistic ways. And so those elements are kind of at odds with one another, I would say in terms of enjoyment of the film. Um, Okay. 
The cinematographer is an interesting guy because he was a guy who was often hired for like B and C units on big Spielberg movies, for instance, to shoot insert shots of practical makeup effects and things like that. And so this is one of his few films that he was the actual cinematographer for the for everything. And um, he does an excellent job. And I, I was kind of shocked to see that he hadn't done much more work because he's, he, he, I mean, it looks way better than it should for what the budget is, you know? Yeah. And for a first time director, I mean, it just looks, it looks great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what else really to say about the film. I don't know if you guys have any questions for I, me, but the, the basic plot here, I'll just say is, uh, the original script, I should say, was kind of dealing with high society and this exclusive Beverly Hills lifestyle uh, and then revealing kind of a murder cult. And the director liked the paranoia there but wanted to take it in a far different direction. And I think we can see in films like Slither and kind of some of the body horror in that film how this may have influenced a film like that. Um, it's just really gross, <laughs> you know, and, and I, and I, and there was a moment when just being kind of reductive when I, there's this, you know, this butt headline that I kind of referenced at the beginning of the, of the podcast where I thought, was this entire movie just reverse engineered to have a butthead joke in it, you know what I mean? Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and wanting to physicalize this idea of a butthead, but um, I think it is more than that. Upon further reflection, and I and I watched it a second time, and I was able to kind of experience it on a more visceral level, not following the plot as much, um, and I enjoyed it actually a lot more the second time. <laughs> well, my my one question for you, I see in the at least in the IMDb premise, it, it describes it as a, a gruesome orgy cult. Now, is that just some marketing materials where they throw in that word to try to, you know, ramp up uh, renters? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's certainly a big orgy scene in this film. This is not kind of, I was hoping that it was going to be more of like an eyes wide shut mystery. And in, in some ways, you know, it kind of has that vibe because there's a guy trying to figure out what's going on in the secret society, can't kind of penetrate the upper echelon, although he's, you know, uh, close to it and he's investigating it all as it goes, but it's so silly at times. It is, it does have a lot of comedic elements to it. It is very cheesy eighties, very on the nose, ham fisted dialogue a lot of the time. So it's not succeeding in a way that a film like eyes wide shut is, but the orgy scene isn't particularly sexual. Um, it is more, well, that's kind of the body horror element that I was referring to. So, okay, gotcha. Hmm. Just, just curious. <laughs> Dave, did you see this one? This sounds like a movie you would have seen. Why? Because it has an orgy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually, uh, this does definitely feels like a Dr. Schluck. Uh, yes. Thing to me. I, I have not. I, I can see this I'm, making uh, your, you know, your weird cinema list. Oh, okay. You, All you, right. Just, but, but again, it's weird I'm, because I'm it, it's only that last 20 minutes that really pays off on that. There are, again, there are some bright spots along the way, 
Um, but most of it's really just the ending. And, and really, for me, I didn't love that ending. I, I will say, like, I was really uncomfortable and grossed out for that entire scene. <laughs> but, um, but that is kind of the payoff to what you've been one, you know, you you want to know what's going on. I feel like this movie could have benefited from a revelation by the midpoint, you know, that we get at the end, or even like at, at the twenty minute mark, because it feels just like it's spinning in circles for a lot of the running time. <laughs> I gotcha. So, so what do you rate society? So, I think for fans of eighties horror movies i think for fans of horror comedy i think for fans of schlock and b movies this is a must see i think it's probably a one-time watch for most people i I wouldn't ever recommend people buy this until they'd seen it and know if they like it you know um i will say if you just go to imdb and you kind of cruise through the photos you'll probably get a sense if you like it or not but um it's a pretty dull plot it's dealing with kind of paranoia incest um a lot of uh just kind of you know typical 80s teen comedy drama but then with some really weird lynchian kind of things thrown into the mix and i would definitely say it has a bit of a david lynch vibe to it occasionally and now and a bit of a um Cronenberg as well, but I, I don't think he is nearly as skilled a filmmaker on his first outing. You know, he may have gotten a lot better throughout his career. I, I like to be on reanimator. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's certainly not a David Lynch or David Cronenberg when it comes to uh, technical prowess or storytelling or it, really even artistic merit. It, it really, I mean, he even mentioned in the behind the scenes that he reverse engineered a lot of this movie. He came up with a cool idea and the narrative was not as important to him as the inspiration. You know, he said, well, fig- we can figure out logic later. Yeah. I- let's go with the inspiration. And there were, it was, I kind of almost wished I didn't watch the <laughs> behind the scenes because the interviews with the actors, a lot of them were like, yeah, we had no idea what we were doing, but we're like, well, I don't know. It seems cool. I guess let's just <laughs> do it. I don't, I have no idea what it means <laughs> and what it's supposed to be, but we, we just did it anyway. And you definitely get that vibe when you're watching the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I see. They, they tried hard, though, and I, and I actually quite like the cast. The main guy, uh, Billy Warlock, he has a small part in Halloween 2. He's best known for Baywatch, but I really liked him. Um, his dad is... Um, Oh my gosh, the Halloween fans are screaming at me right now. Dick Warlock. Dick Warlock. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you, Jay, who played Michael Myers, um, which is cool. I, I love that they're kind of like this movie family and he's tied to the Halloween franchise. But Billy Warlock really gives me a Mike, Michael J. Fox vibe. And oh, even cool. In, yeah, and, and who I love, Michael yes. J. Fox. And yep. even in, you know, in present day in these behind the scenes documentaries, um, it's kind of like if, if Michael J. Fox had stayed healthy, he might, you know, come across kind of as Billy Warlock does at this age. I'd kind of like to see Billy Warlock do some Michael J. Fox style roles. I don't know that, you know, after a career of horror movies and Baywatch and days of our lives and stuff, if he's going to get those kinds of offers, but I, I really liked his uh, vibe. You know, I kind of liked his screen presence. <laughs> this sounds like um, it's along the lines of like, 
you know, when Dave reviewed something like Slime City or Street Trash, you know, those 80s gross out movies Uh that are schlocky and dumb and comedic as... (laughs) I mean, it kind of sounds like along those lines, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, I I don't know. Yeah, I think if you are someone who doesn't care so much about narrative and you like the surrealist stuff, you'll probably get a lot out of it, honestly. Um, yeah, it's a- but 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 I am someone. Although I don't always need narrative, and I don't, and I can appreciate something just for art's sake. I do. It, it is presented in a way as though you're supposed to try to be following the plot, and so then I become hypercritical when I'm kind of looking at it in that right vein because I'm, I want it to pay off everything that supposedly seems to be setting up, you know? And, um, yeah, but otherwise if they're looking for a cinematic oddity, this would be one of those. Definitely a cinematic oddity. Now you didn't, you didn't do a number yet on this, Josh. I'm just, okay. Um, man, it's hard because, Oh, man, this is a really hard one to rate. It works on a lot of levels, and you know, on the other hand, it just seems like so muddled and clunky story-wise. But, um, but you know, like if they're trying to do Salvador Dali in latex, they pulled that off too. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to give it a five. Okay, but I'm going to say it's a high priority rental if you like schlock. And you want to see a cinematic oddity, like, and just, you know, see something you probably wouldn't see elsewhere. If you don't mind body horror and uh, a lot of goo, and you don't mind waiting for an hour and a half before the ass starts, (laughs) 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 then enjoy yourself. Because it's it's about an hour in before we see kind of the first traditional horror movie kill. Um, And, you know, a lot of it's just kind of like, head trippy stuff mixed in with detective work. I gotcha. Could you see yourself just curious about this? Could you see yourself ever choosing to show this at some sort of a, a party or a gathering for some reason? I think if I was doing like, you know, Dave has his cinematic oddities list. I think this is something that is worth visiting kind of in that vein. I could imagine showing to people who were interested in like, What's the weirdest movie you've never seen? This is one that people, you know, who are interested in that kind of thing should probably check out. But um, this is not one I'd probably even throw on at a party because, like I said, it's kind of plotting and muddled a lot of the time. And then ultimately it's like too gross for a party. People will be like, oh, what? we can't eat while we're watching this. This is disgusting. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got you. All right. So that's uh, not a great background movie. (laughs) Right. I got you. And, but Dave, I mean, it sounds like Dave, right? You're going to catch up with society, right, Dave? I am going to see if it's available on Amazon right now. Okay. The Arrow video release is, is really great. I can. Oh, Arrow. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay. It sounds like it needs to be on your list, Dave. It really does. I believe it. I believe it does. Knowing you as I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> speaking of the Dr. Schlock. He is also our classic horror expert. I'm sure people are aware of this. And so Dr. Shock has a great pick for us as well. Tell us about it, Dave. I will. This is from um, uh, actually by uh, Channy Dreadful. I had recommended this one. And it is the 1940, I want to say 42, is it? 
1942 classic, Cat People. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. The legend of the Cat People. Women whose kiss means death. Whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey. Now, this is, first I wanted to, just before I get into this movie, just talk about another movie real quick, a scene from another movie, and it's one I know, Jay, you appreciate, The Bad and the Beautiful, <laughs> from 1952. There's a scene in that movie where um, Kirk Douglas and Barry Sull- Sullivan, they play uh, filmmakers or, you know, sort of um, trying to get their foot in the door at this uh, at this studio that, uh, I want to say it's Walter Pigeon is, uh, plays the, the head of the studio. Um, and he's almost like a Roger Corman type where he just throws out movies just to make money. Not he even says he's not interested in art. He just wants to make money. Uh, and he assigns them to a film called the cat men. Well, if you remember Jay, and there's a scene in that where they're sitting there and they're looking at these cat men costumes <laughs> and they just look terrible. Um, one guy, it can't even fit. It doesn't even fit in him. Um, uh, you know, I mean, he doesn't fit in the costume. Um, and they're, they're falling apart. You can see the, the buttons and the zippers in these things. So these, um, uh, you know, uh, Kirk Douglas and Barry Sullivan's character go off and, and, uh, it's when they get the idea. Um, Kirk Douglas gets the idea of why don't we just put it in the dark? The dark is very scary to people. That way we never have to show these damn cat men. <laughs> right. And yet we'll still be able to scare people. We'll still be able to, to do what the movie sets out to do. That was inspired by Val Luton and the approach he took to cat people. And he really does. Um, one of the things about cat people is it relies on shadows a lot. Um, there's a lot of darkness in the movie, a lot of shadows it's really a movie that was kind of meant for black and white. I mean, this is a movie that is, is better in black and white just because of the approach that, that, um, that Luton had taken with it. Uh, just to set up the story real quick. Um, there's this woman, her name is, uh, Irena played by, uh, Simone, 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 Simon. I, I never, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Simone, Simone. I don't know. Um, but she's a fashion designer. She's from Serbia. Michelle, um, Michelle. What is that? Sorry, that was a Seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> reference. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, she's a fashion designer. She's from Serbia. She meets this guy, Oliver, one day when she's at the zoo. Um, he's a marine engineer. Uh, they go back to his apartment. Um, you know, they kind of they fall in love. The next thing you know, there's, there's romances in the air. But uh, Irena is, uh, she's got a secret. And um, unfortunately, um, things would tend to get a little unpleasant if she and Oliver were to ever uh, express their love in the physical manner. Uh, even after they're married, um, she's afraid what might happen, even if, you know, even if Oliver kisses her. Um, so she's just like, you got to be patient with me. Well, Oliver's fine at first, but he gets a little restless after a while. He confines in this coworker of his, Alice, um, you know, who, who suggests that maybe Irina pay a visit to a psychiatrist. Um, but uh, that doesn't really work. And uh, Oliver finds himself, you know, he's, he's at the end. He doesn't really know what to do. Uh, Irina um, starts getting jealous. 
because now he's, you know, it seems like her husband's getting closer to this co-worker, Alice. And the secret that she's been trying to hide um, tends to, uh, actually breaks free after, you know, you know, the jealousy brings it to the, brings it to the surface. Um, uh, I did, uh, this is a classic, and it, it really is, and a lot of it does have to do with, with um, the approach Luton took. Um, there are scenes in the film that I think even today are, you know, frightening, uh, especially one that takes place. There's a, there's a scene um, a little bit later in the movie, and I'm not going to go into too many spoilers or anything here, but I think you get an idea of maybe what Irina's problem is just by the title of Cat People. Uh, and what might happen to her. Um, anyway, uh, the, the scene where um, Alice is, 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 you know, walking down the street and she hears these footsteps and all of a sudden she hears what is a growl. Um, it's, it's shot in a way that it, it's very tense. And there is even a jump scare in there. I'm not going to tell you where it is, it's, but there is even a jump scare in there um from from something that you're not and you're not expecting um there's a scene set in a in an indoor pool that is really very creepy um and again this is just a dark movie it's it takes place in the dark that was the approach that Val Luton took and it really does put you on edge as you're watching this film yeah that pool scene um, Dave is one that Stuck with me ever since I was younger because I saw this when I was younger and the pool scene stuck with me. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that one and, and the one out on the street. Um, and we talked about this. I don't know if it was on Universal Monsters cast or on the Universal Monsters episode we did here. I think it was probably here. But because um, didn't you didn't this make your list of best uni- non-universal Horror movies. I don't. I, I'm not sure. I was centering. I was centering on the 1930s. I think oh, okay. and this was 42. Um, but it would have. This definitely would have made that list if if I'd extended it out into the 40s. It would have been toward the top, actually. Anyway, I'm not sure where we discussed this, but I'll mention it again in case it wasn't on this podcast. Essentially, Val Luton was really jealous of the success of the Universal Monsters movies because he was kind of trying to do artier pictures. And he just felt frustrated that Universal would have hit after hit after hit with these monster films that after he saw the Wolfman or after that Wolfman script was circulating, he basically decided he was going to do his own version of that. And as I understand it, what Cat People became is very similar to what the original script for 1941's The Wolfman was. However, Universal decided let's physicalize this and make it a, you know, no question about the fact that this is a werewolf, which was not the initial intent. That was not what they set out to make originally, but then they decided that they would go that direction. And so Val Luton's version of that um, is much more mysterious. And it was what uh, universal had originally set out to do uh, with their screenplay for the Wolfman. Huh. That's that's interesting. I can see that. I mean, you you can definitely see that as you're watching the film. Um, but yet again, just a very different approach. And it was budget. You know, obviously it's 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 a low budget film. He wasn't um, 
working with, uh, I guess he didn't have that universal money behind him. So he had to uh, get creative. Um, and I think he, I think that's exactly what he was able to do with this, uh, with this movie. Um, I mean, for me, this is, this is a classic and it's, it's, I would, I, it's hard for me to, I mean, I'd have to go with a, a 9.5 on this one. And this is wow. one I think everybody, everybody should see. Uh, they did remake it in, uh, in 82. It was it Paul Schrader? <laughs> Paul Schrader, I think, directed it, and then uh, Nastasha Kinski was in it. Malcolm McDowell. Um, I don't dislike the remake. I think that um, you know it, it has its it has its moments. Uh, definitely a little um, you know sleazier. Yes. Um, <laughs> than the than the original movie. <laughs> um, uh, but you know this this is a. I think everybody needs to to see this uh, to see cat people. So you telling them to buy it, Dave? I would, yeah, I would say buy it if you can buy it. And it's, I know that there's a, a set out there that where it actually comes with cat people and Curse of the Cat People it comes with its sequel. What is that? Uh, yeah, um, well, that's actually the one that Shani sent us a photo of from her. Yeah, and I have that. I have that exact same, uh, um, you know, DVD. Like an MGM uh, double DVD kind of. That's thing. what I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up. I think that's what it is. Yeah, and I know that there are. Uh, I know there's one with I walk with a zombie on it as well. Um, yeah, here it is. Cat people and curse of the cat people. Um, well, it looks like it might be out of print. It's a little pricey. And that sequel's from 1944, right? It's a couple yes. of years later. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. um, is that one worth um, people's time checking out? Just curious. You know what I. I'll be honest with you. I don't. I have not seen that one. I have not seen uh, Curse of the Cat People yet. Hmm. You're busy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I, right. I should because I actually own it, so I should probably check it out. Yeah. Okay, Doctor Shock. Thanks for covering that for us. So that's uh, Cat People from 1942. Dave says it's a 9.5 out of 10. It says buy it. So thank you, and um, and 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 Josh. I think you and I had like one or two comments about the whole library phenomenon. What, what was your comment? Well, mine is moving kind of beyond the library a bit, I suppose. They're moving the library into the digital space. Let me put it that way. Um, one of our listeners, Dino, turned me on to this this week. Uh, he mentioned this on Twitter to several of our HMP listeners as well, but there's a new app. Uh, and you can find it at hoopladigital.com. This is not an ad for them because they're not paying us, although they should. <laughs> but Hoopla is this, uh, as far as I can tell, I have not used it yet, but it has been, Dino said, you know, is vouching for it. Um, you can enter your library card into this app and it will pull up the digital library of your library and you can access it all online and watch it from your home. Anything that your library has on uh, digital copies of wow. from music, to audio books, eBooks, comic books, TV shows. You can watch it on your computer, tablet or phone, even on your TV via this uh, hoopla digital.com app. So just have to have your library card and, and that's it. That's amazing. And that's all assuming that your library is, up to date with the 21st century and they have some digital copies and we hope they right. do. But 
Yeah, I mean, that'd be amazing for people in big cities with impressive libraries. Like, I bet you the Salt Lake City Library has a lot of digital media available. You would right. think. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, a lot of, and most Blu-rays now that you buy have a digital copy with them. So if they are utilizing all of those digital copies um, and uploading them, that would be awesome for library users. It's crazy. Some libraries actually leave those in the case. And other people, oh, really? and other people just grab them and and use them. Wow. I'm not saying I'm one of those people. I'm just saying <laughs> that has been discussed before on <laughs> movie related podcasts. That's hilarious. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting to me these picks. I, I loved looking over the list. Like Cat People is a perfect example of a film that I would expect to see at my library. Um, yeah. you know, we got some good ones from Allison. I mean, just to name a few of the other picks that, oh. that we got. I mean, we had Altered States from 1980. We had uh, Evil from 2005. Um, we had Needle from 2010. <clears throat> Lake Placid versus Anaconda from 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Retreat. <laughs> Which um, was one that I was very torn. I almost, I really wanted to review Retreat because I'm very curious about that one. Hollow from 2011. The well, I'm curious, have you, have you seen Lake Placid versus Anaconda? Because that sounds like you're kind of <laughs> I have not seen that one, but it's almost like a little too far for me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's great, but I'm just saying. Usually like one Beastly Freak is good. <laughs> and, you know, two Beastly Freaks going at it against each other is kind of, I don't know. Sure. It's like King, uh, it's like Godzilla versus Mothra or something. But anyways, ne- um, needle didn't look like my kind of movie, but Ben Mendelsohn's in it. And that to me is like instant watch. So I agree. I agree. I was tempted by his name there. Um, the amazing adventures of the living corpse, my super psycho sweet 16 part two spiders, 3d, um, so anyway, we, you know, interesting things. If you go into your library, you just, it's very bizarre what movies you might find lurking there. So, um, and speaking of that, this is very closely related, really, Josh, to like an obsession that we have, at least an obsession I have with going into the gas station <laughs> and looking in their bargain bin. And I think you're actually going to just delight me by uh, treating us to a gas station bargain bin <laughs> review right now, right? You know, um, I am going to do just that. I was thinking we should do at least some other segment for people who weren't into this concept. And I, my initial idea was to do screaming online and do something a little more contemporary. But Jay, you know, we, we <laughs> love you so much around here. And I knew that you would prefer doing a, a bargain bin gas station pick. So I, I decided to love go it. with that instead because you know i you know i want to i want to make you happy (laughs) it it does make me happy you don't even understand i have actually been looking forward to hearing about this all day long i'm not even joking (laughs) okay well i was uh i was i took my kids down to bryce canyon which is a national park here in the area and just beautiful down there, by the way. I, I don't know if you've been down there, but I had I had I had been on the outskirts of it a couple of times, but I've never actually gone 
into the main portion of it. It's incredible. But I was driving back and we stopped at, uh, you know, several gas stations along the way to to see what they had. And I stopped in the city of Beaver, Utah, which we actually ended up discussing on uh, <laughs> our movie podcast network special. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this small town of Beaver and I see there, you know, there, there was a long line at checkout. And normally I wouldn't really spend too much time, but since the line was so long, I looked at several titles there and there was one called battle dogs. And yes. when I saw battle dogs, I knew right away I was going to buy this. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I was assumed it was a werewolf. And I, I picked it up. And, you know, of course, it doesn't have a uh, legitimate case. It's just the thin cardboard sleeve. Of course. Um, but when I flipped it over, it did not look like werewolves. As I was hoping it looked like were rats. And I thought, uh, I like werewolves but i don't you know i've done were rats with mulberry street i just didn't know if i wanted to go down the were rat tunnel again so to speak (laughs) but as i looked on the back it no it says it's a it's a lupine virus film and so i thought okay so, so it actually is werewolves uh the quote on the back which is not attributed to anyone (laughs) <laughs> says that it's in the tradition of aliens in district nine so i thought well what the heck i'll give it a shot yeah i could i think i, I could see the producer saying that yeah just just this quote of the producer right. it's in quotes but it just doesn't say who said right it. there you go somebody said it it had to have right mm-hmm. um it's got one of the worst taglines ever it says the population of manhattan is under quarantine dot 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 for now i was like what does that mean <laughs> that's, <dumb>. that's hilarious <laughs> until the quarantine is lifted i guess it <laughs> doesn't even make sense it's so funny but it's got quite a good cast i will say you know uh, for one of these films it is an asylum film i realized when i finally put it in um so you know it, it has the feel of an asylum film but like you know, a lot of the asylum films in the last you know five to ten years or so, they're getting better in terms of. Other than the awful CGI, they're going for kind of some name actors. They're you know the cinematography is decent at times, and then they just have this atrocious uh, staging and, and CGI that just kind of, you know, kind of completely takes you out of it. But, but the cast is so strong that you would think, man, if they, you know, this is a great character cast, if they just had one star, this could be like a normal movie cast, (laughs) you know, it's got Dennis Haysbert, who I love. Uh, it's got Craig Sheffer who, you know, at one point was a big star, Bill Duke, Wes Studi, who I'm a huge Wes Studi fan. And Ernie Hudson, who I'd love to see Ernie Hudson in anything. Mm-hmm. Now, the main actress in this film was one of the least appealing leads I'd ever seen in a movie. When it first started, I just thought, she is so, um, like, zero charisma, right? Like, I, mm. I just thought, well, I can't believe she's going to be our person who's going to bring us to this whole film. And I, I looked her up because I was, you know, marveling as the cast was revealing itself, all these great people. And I thought, how did this weird person, no name, never seen her before, person with a bad haircut, end up being our main character in this, with this cast? And then when I looked her up, I figured out 
Oh my gosh, this is the little girl from Jurassic Park, all grown up. No oh, way. Wow. Adult, yeah. Wow. And I quite liked her in Tremors, and although her character was annoying in Jurassic Park, I thought she was pretty good for the most part. I mean, she's it's not bad, you know. She's a kid actor, but she's a good kid actor as kid actor. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I did not love her as an adult actress, I, I'm sad to report. But um this movie has the horror movie cliche now, which I, I think we need to put a moratorium on this. Can we just stop naming characters after other horror movie characters? And yes. I, 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 <laughs> it's fun when you're watching, you know, Friday the 13th part six, but at this stage, it's just like, it just completely takes me out of the movie or at least pick kind of an obscure reference. Don't her name. This is Ariana Richards, who is the lead. Her name's Donna Voorhees. And it's just like, oh. you can, you're you instantly out of the movie when she says Voorhees. Every time the word Voorhees is spoken. Right, right. right. Um, there's also one of the other kind of characters that factors in last name is Hammond. And so I had to assume that was a reference to Jurassic Park because yeah. it just feels so on the nose when you have this actress who's only known for dress park and then the next character introduction right after hers is this guy named Hammond. <laughs> but, oh my goodness uh, yeah other than other than all of those elements it was surprisingly good at first and i thought okay the the werewolves look awful they do kind of look a little bit rat like they look more like werewolves in the movie than they do on the dvd case okay but they still look awful and um but the idea is interesting, and it's a little bit like Jurassic World, I'll, I will say. There are some evil army guys led by Dennis Haysbert who want to control this werewolf outbreak and figure out how to use it for military purposes, mm-hmm. hence the name Battle Dogs. Of course, yes. <clears throat> and Craig Sheffer plays kind of the good WHO kind of guy who is trying to resist the evil uh, army men played by, you know, West Studi and Dennis Haysbert. So, it, you know, that's kind of fun. Ernie Hudson is a guy who works at the airport. who's assisting in the investigation. And there are some cool moments in this movie. Like there's this technology, which I'm sure does not actually exist, but uh, where this like high definition 3d scan is taken of the entire airport every five minutes. And so during Craig Sheffer's investigation, he goes and meets up with Ernie Hudson and they're able to kind of click through the timeline of how this outbreak started at the airport. And it's really cool because it's a cool concept. It's almost like minority report. They can click, you know, four to five minutes and assess what's gone on and then click back five minutes and they have to try to fill in those time gaps. And he's interacting with these holograms essentially that are in live you know real space in the airport so it's cool it's kind of a cool investigation movie moment where he's walking around these holograms that are these 3d captures inside the airport and kind of like looking at their passport papers and looking at the you know the cuts on their arms and trying to figure mm-hmm. out that, who they are, where they came from that also reminds me a little bit of Denzel Washington's uh, deja vu a little bit yeah, I can see what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I appreciated that element of it. I, you know, I thought, well, they're they're trying. There was one scene with Dennis Haysbert 
and um, who was the other actor? Oh, Darren Cooper, somebody you know, kind of recognizable. And it was shot pretty interestingly, and it wasn't it wasn't effective for the scene because it's so staged that it kind of took me out of it. But it looked great. I mean, it was this really cool camera move into the shot, and it's this awesome location slash set. And Dennis Haysbert's so good, and I just thought this is great. They're they're really trying. But then it just devolved. I mean, it really feels Sharknado-y the more and more it progresses. It's horror in the daylight, mm. okay. but it's not effective horror in the daylight. It's not scary in the daylight. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, I don't know, it's, that's, it's sad, but um, it, was, I, it was a nice try. And for a gas station bargain bin movie, I mean, it was, it was basically better than, far better than I anticipated it would be. So. What was it, like five bucks for that? Huh. Oh yeah, it was four ninety nine or less. I'm okay, sure. I'm sure. Yeah, and I see that it was initially a TV movie, and it's rated TV fourteen. Must so. have been a Sci-Fi Channel movie, if that's the case. Okay. Definitely, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Wow. Well, I I love it that you that you took a chance on Battle Dogs. That makes me so happy. So what do, what do you rate <laughs> it then, Josh? I'm gonna rate Battle Dogs a three point five. And say it's a perfect gas station bargain bin purchase. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't really recommend it under, under any other circumstance. Battle Dogs is no dog soldiers. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and and just so people are clear on this, the the circumstance that Josh is referring to there, under which you you proceed with a gas station bargain bin purchase, is... It's Friday night or whatever. Um, you're getting home pretty late. You're stopping to get some, you know, Mountain Dew and Doritos, and you see the rack there, and you're kind of wired because you're drinking Mountain Dew, and you're gonna you're gonna watch something. You know you are. It might as well be Battle Dogs. So I love <laughs> I, I love the way you think, and that's great. And your 3.5 mirrors <clears throat> the 2,000 people on IMDb that also rated it. A 3.5 out of 10. (laughs) That's hilarious. Anyway, that makes my day. Thanks for reviewing that for us. So, all right, guys. I think that just about wraps up episode 115 of Horror Movie Podcast. Thanks for being here with us and joining us. I'm going to kind of abbreviate the outro a little bit. But first, I want to get the plugs from Dave and Josh. Um, Dave, where can the listeners catch up with you? Uh, you can, add, as always, check me out at um, the blog, dvdinfatuation.com. I'm uh, slowly creeping toward the 2,500 mark. I'm down as, as of um, today's posting. I think it's down to um, 164 left. So, uh, but it's going to take me, obviously, through most of 2017 to get there, or a lot of what's left of 2017 to get there. Um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at DVD Infatuation. Uh, I am I have a Facebook. I do have a Facebook page as well, and I am on Land of the Creeps with uh, the podcast uh, hosted by Greg Amortis. Uh, you can ch- uh, check it out there. I think it's Land of the Creeps mm-hmm. Thank you. And what about you, Wolfman? I just want people to check out moviestreamcast.com, universalmonsterscast.com, and I am on social media at Icarus Arts. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let me just say for Jason here, we love your comments. 
So get involved in the HMP community. Yep. You can email us at, g- at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, including past episodes of the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis at our site, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe for free in iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music on the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. We'd also like to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. And you can find more of Kagan's work at KaganBreitenbach.com. We'll have both of those linked in the show notes, Jay. Thank you. That was wonderful and very helpful. And I just wanted to thank all of the At Your Mercy Library pick submitters, all those who contributed and helped us to make this episode. We really appreciate your participation. Um, Genuinely love that. Thank you. You can check out my other movie show at moviepodcastweekly.com. It's ridiculous. And um, I think that's it for episode 115. So we thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.